Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 66 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick, Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Brett Stillo, a filmmaker and former and hopefully future MXM host. Uh, welcome to the show, Brett. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Thank you. It's really great to be here. And, yeah, and, and, and especially with the short notice, I mean... Uh, there, there were technical issues with with this entire week's recording, and you know, I turned to Brett, and he was able to to step up, and and I recorded this entire week's episodes uh, once again with with someone else because my my original guest wasn't able to come back, unfortunately. So thank yeah. you, Mike. Sorry, but your your episodes will never see the light of day because thanks, Mike. Technical issues. <laughs> what and, can I say? Uh, and thanks for having me. And yeah, I I sort of love. To talk about movies, so asking me at the last minute is never a problem. I'm I'm around. I'm I'm available for uh, birthdays and weddings if, as long as I can talk about movies. Um, hey, and what's not, the movie that works? Talk about today. It, it's this this little indie flick named uh, Die Hard. Did you ever hear of it? <sighs> yeah, I think I I think I saw it. Uh, on opening night in uh, the summer of 1988, did you get to see it in its first run? No, I unfortunately the, I, I was I was 14 when it came out in 1988. So uh, the first time I saw it was when it came out on on uh, video about six months later. Okay, you know, I, I, I uh, unfortunately missed it in the theater, and in still up until today, I still have not seen it in the theater. It's something that I I'm always on the lookout for, and I haven't yet. Uh, found a chance to see it again in the theater, but uh, as soon as I get that chance, I will do so. Because I, I, I recently I recently saw Jaws in the theater again, and I saw Back to the Future, and it was just great seeing those in the... I mean, Back to the Future I saw when it came out in the theater numerous times, but um, Jaws I'd never seen in the theater. I'd seen, I've seen it tons of times, but it was just so much fun, the, the theater experience, you know. Yeah. Yeah, another... It's... I, I definitely know what you're talking about. A, a fa there's a favorite film, but then when you see it on the big screen, it's just extra frosting on that birthday cake. So, yes. um, that is true. So I hope you do get to see it on the big screen. I had a lot of fun when I saw it on the big screen. Have you only seen it once on the big screen? Once on the big screen, and you know, and so over the years, I've haven't seen it a lot, but I definitely have caught it. You know, maybe three, four, or five times over the years. In the theater and, or in general? Yeah, you know, streaming and uh, right. well, okay. like VR. Yeah, right. I've seen it a few times. I've right, but you also times. you also live in California, so you probably have more opportunities to see re-releases in the theater than I do. In Israel, it doesn't happen very often. You know, when when I saw the Jaws was was out last week, I or two weeks ago, I, I didn't really have much time to you know. I saw that it that it was playing, and I was like, okay, I have like two days to catch it because uh, it was it wasn't something that was going to last very long. You know, oh, so okay. I was I was happy to see it that way. So I keep my eye yeah. out for that. Yeah. Jaws on a big screen. Cool. Yes. Yes, it was. All right. So minute 66 uh, begins with Dwayne continuing to try and explain his theory and ends with Holly describing how she feels. So we ended things on Friday with uh, a bureaucrat showing up, flashing his badge and saying, who's talking to him? Who's talking to him? And then we, we had a little conversation between this bureaucrat named Dwayne Robinson, who is deputy chief of police. Uh, he had a conversation with our good friend, Al, 
and Al explains to him why he thinks that we should be able to, uh, you know, trust this guy we're talking to. At this point, Dwayne continues to explain why he thinks that uh, Al might be wrong. And what get, what we heard on Friday was he started saying, has it occurred to you? And today we start with you. So it's, has it occurred to you? He could be one of the terrorists pulling your chain or some nutcase in there. Al's response is, I don't think so, sir. In fact, I think he's a cop. Maybe not LAPD, but he's definitely a badge. So I first wanted to go through some of the, the, the phrases that he that, that are mentioned here. Like, sure. have, okay, Dwayne has this theory, which I, I you know, we, we're all, we all know that he's supposed to be an asshole in this movie. There's no question about it. Yeah. That's the, the character. That's the way he's supposed to act. That's the way he's supposed to be. But he actually has a point here at this point. You know, this is one of the few times in the movie where you say, okay, you know what? He... He's making sense with what he's saying. You know, he might be looking at it from a very bureaucratic aspect, but, you know, you have to be a little bit cautious if you're just listening to somebody giving over information that you don't know who it really is. Interesting point of view on that. I wouldn't disagree, except it's uh, the actor they cast is one Paul Gleason. Yes. You know, you, you you can tell it's an 80s movie if Paul Gleason is in it. And if Paul Gleason is being an asshole, yes. which he's doing rather, this is classic Paul Gleason. Um, yeah, you know, I just, I, I just see uh, Deputy Chief uh, Dwayne Dwayne there. Um, yeah, just being the antagonist, uh, being a perfect foil uh, in the script. Um, you kind of see, you know, why he's there and why he's saying things. Uh, because we ultimately we can't have the cops helping John, right? So, um, but you know, it's it's interesting. Again, it's it's it's, it's Paul Gleason's tone. Um, you know, I mean, one thing I wondered watching this scene is it's the hostility. Yeah, and you wonder is you know is it just you know because of Al and his history that this. This guy should be a brother cop, right? It should be well, officer. You know, I hear what you're saying, but you know, I don't, you know, I don't want any of our guys getting hurt. So let's be careful. It's he's really being condescending to this guy. Yeah, and but I Dwayne wonder, doesn't. I don't think Dwayne knows Al's history. I mean, we we obviously don't know it yet either. But yeah. I, I don't think you know he's saying who's talking to him, and he goes Al Powell, Sergeant Al Powell. So it's like, you know, who are you? I don't really know who you are. You know, but you're right. He's coming there and he's being condescending. But if you think of the words of what he's saying. They're, you know, he's saying it in a condescending way, but but the content of what he's saying, yeah, yeah. Is, is makes sense. That that's what it comes. Yeah, down yeah, to. yeah, yeah. It's just you know, and it's it it wouldn't be good drama if you know he just said, well, Officer Pell, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but uh, you know, it had you know we we want there's two solid actors here. Yeah, and he, and he plays the character yeah, perfectly. That that's yeah, the, yeah, that, the, the, the delivery. Perfect. The delivery is done. In a very holy way, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you, you know, know you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned Dwayne as a bureaucrat, and I actually, I have, I, I would call him a bureau cop, and <laughs> you know, this is this is one of you know, it's it's a siege movie, um, but it's also a classic maverick cop movie. There's yes. one guy on the, he's not even on the LAPD. He's a visiting right. cop and it's him against the world. And in the Maverick cop movie, 
of course, you've got the maverick cop, but the maverick cop always needs the high-ranking bureaucratic guy who isn't even on the force. He's not in the precinct. He's the guy who comes to the precinct and says something kind of like, you know, are you arresting anybody? We don't want anybody arrested here. That's bad for that's bad publicity. Right. And <laughs> so all that, you know, don't tell me you arrested him. And it's that, uh, you know, it's it's like Hal Holbrook versus Clint Eastwood and uh, Dirty Harry too. You know, there's there's always the guy who shows up in the suit and you know he basically says, don't do your job right <laughs> and <laughs> more or less he's there you know he's there to, to do that so yeah you know um and if if they were having more of a professional conversation there just wouldn't be any good drama there but you know i mean again, right. you, you hire paul gleason it's not Wolfram right. Grimley. It's Paul. Gleason. Yeah, for sure. It, it, it's 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 a great casting choice, no question about it. Yeah, you know, yeah they yeah. they knew to to put to put in there. Yeah, and you've you've also got in the background. Yeah, this is also three years after everyone you know got to know him so well in the Breakfast Club. So you know, it's not as if it was right after. It's someone yeah. actually thought about it and said, okay, who can we who can we put in this role? And as you said, Wilford Brimley would have been a, a great choice for an 80s, you know, uh, captain or something like that. Yeah. Not necessarily for this role, but I'm saying, yeah, Wilford Brimley is someone who yeah, appears in many Brimley. movies that way. Just, yeah. uh, you know, if you, if you wanted a, a gruff but fair kind of a, you know, character, yeah. for, I mean, you kind of like you'd hired Brian Dennehy, who'd be like, look. I'm not risking any of our guys. We're going to check this, you know, he, but no, you got to have someone who is a complete a-hole and that just happens to be Paul Gleason, who interesting. I was reading about, you know, he wasn't always that character. His career was much longer than I knew about. He, he was originally cast in, uh, in the fifties on the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. You look at him. Yeah. He, he went, his career went back way earlier than I thought. He was basically like a, a teenager when he came to Hollywood. Was he a child actor? Yeah, yeah, not, <laughs> not quite a child actor, but he was getting late late teens, early twenties. He was getting roles, doing a lot of television. And you look at him back then; it was like, oh, you were you were an Alan Ruck in the early sixties. You weren't oh, Paul wow. Mason yet. You were kind of like, <laughs> you know, gangly, goofy guy, um, who then and got you know gray hairs. And yeah, it's, you know, when I saw this movie. Um, you're right. I re- instantly re- remembered him from Breakfast Club, yeah. and it was oh, it's that guy. And, and training places going to get so, and that's you know that's that's the fun of certain character actors. You know, you you know what Paul Gleason is there for, and he yeah. he, he does his job perfectly. You know, you yeah, I really hate this guy. <laughs> and you know you you see the you see the tension it's it's you know al's trying to help john al's you know it's it's really just al and uh argyle who are on the outside yeah. can give john any help and he's you know, I, don't, I don't he's know if argyle still... can give him that much help <laughs> argyle, argyle can find some mama bears if they need it but that's about it <laughs> yeah he's he's a pimp well, that, that's what argyle can do <laughs> <laughs> True, but I mean, it's yeah. It's one interesting thing about this movie is is you have playing pieces you forget about because you know he, he, Argyle is there. We're going to see him in a few minutes to just remind. Hey, remember, there's the guy in the limo, and you yeah. know he has his every, 
everybody has their job in this movie, but uh, yes, for sure. Yeah, one, oh, and one thing now, you I know does, this is you know this is based on a on a novel, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Yeah. So and and the character of Dwayne Robinson appears in the novel. He's Interesting. he's he's I think a captain. He's not a deputy chief of police. Um, and he he still acts like the bureaucrat throughout the entire thing for sure. And Argyle is 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 uh, Argyle's character is an older limo driver who works for uh, let's say Nakatomi. It's not called Nakatomi in the book. It's called Claxton Oil. So he works for them. And they actually, they sent their driver to go pick him up as opposed to, you know, here, we're not really sure if Argyle, you know, we just know that Nakatomi hired this limo, this very fresh and new limo driver to go pick him up, pick him up, you know, not because he's, you know, he doesn't work specifically for Nakatomi. So. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, okay. One of the phrases that, that, uh, that our good friend Dwayne says at the beginning is pulling your chain. Have you ever ever heard that phrase before? And do you oh, know yeah. where it comes from? Do you know what it means? Uh, let's see. It seems like let's see. The definition is usually uh, you know kind of like worse than teasing, goading, um, in a little bit of intimidation perhaps. But you know, pulling your chain. It's like I'm drag. You're getting dragged into this, whether you like whether you're aware of it or not. You know, I think it's I, I would assume it's sort of is associated with maybe a draft animal and uh, doing something against your will. Yeah. Getting getting led by like a bull by the horns. <laughs> OK. All right. So basically the definition is, is to, to deceive someone in a friendly or playful way. It's usually playing a joke on somebody. OK. OK. So pulling your chain is usually a joke. You're pulling my chain. Yanking my chain could also be. Uh, you know, used instead of that. Uh, nobody really knows the exact origin of where it comes from, but it is connected to the fact that, you know, uh, dogs have a leash. Yeah. Right. And when you pull the chain, so, so you, they, they stop or slow down because they're then wondering what's going on, you know? So that, that's the, the idea of, of uh, the phrase pulling your chain. Now, yeah. <laughs> It's funny that he would say that, you know, he, he's saying, you know, I, I mean, I've mentioned this numerous times uh, over many episodes where, where we've discussed this, you know, the the lackadaisical uh, way that everyone is dealing with this terrorist incident in 1988 is just unbelievable. I mean, obviously, you know, we're now living 21 plus years, uh, you know, past 9-11, but you'd still think that that back then, if someone were to say terrorist you know, they take it a little more seriously. I mean, we can we can go through many examples in the movie where people are just, you know, mm-hmm. laughing off the fact that, that there's a terrorist. I mean, just think about the fact that they sent Al to go check a crank call at Nakatomi and not say to him, you know, someone says that there's a terrorist incident there, but, you know, so be on the lookout. They didn't even tell him that. They just said, go check out this crank call. Yeah. I it's that's an interesting point, and I I I thought about that. I wrote a, I wrote a few notes down when um, forgetting William Atherton's character, the reporter, uh, right. well, we'll, we'll, his character. But when do, he, do we, we, know, we when get he, him a little bit later, don't, don't yeah, yeah, we? Yeah, we do. We do get him. I think, I think we're going to have him on Wednesday. But yeah, I kind of took note of what you're saying about uh, how surreal it all seems, and how it did seem surreal in 1988. And yes. 
Yeah, the lax the the laxity. For sure, but but just the way that they're they're acting here, and for him for him to come and say that that it's it's the terrorist <laughs> that is one of the terrorists pulling your chain. That the terrorists are making a joke. Like where does that <laughs> that just doesn't yeah. make any sense. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's, it, uh, there's a couple of moments where that'll come up through the week, but I think there's, you know, in 88, there's definitely that tone of it can't happen here. Right. That happens elsewhere. Correct. That happens, that doesn't happen here in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Right. Um, it, it only happens in big, crazy movies. Correct. Um, and um, even though this is a small budget uh, indie film. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah, a very, uh, uh, a very, a very lighthearted, uh, irreverent romp, romp with um, yeah, that guy exactly. from lighting who, uh, it, it's so thr- you know, so much of this movie is uh, Bruce Willis and <laughs> Alan Ruck threw me, Alan Rickman, not Alan Ruck. <laughs> I no, Alan, Alan Ruck was was in 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 a different uh, you know move, movie featuring uh, our our good friend uh, you know Paul Gleason. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, yeah, just as a side oh, of, like, wait a Alan second, Ruck probably wait, now. Alan, no, Bruce. sorry, Alan Ruck wasn't. He wasn't in for some reason. I, I was I was just kidding. I just yeah, couldn't spoke. Yeah, I just, just Alan Rickman. <laughs> no, I was thinking. I was thinking for some reason that that Paul Gleason was in uh, Ferris Bueller also, but no, he wasn't. That's, no, he wasn't. That's Jeffrey but, Jones. Yeah. Jeffrey Jones. Sorry. Yeah, but I, yeah, he could have been. And I yes. feel like Alan Ruck today now gets the Paul Gleason roles. You know, unfortunately, sadly, Paul Gleason's no longer with us. But yeah. we have Alan. Alan Ruck, I think, has that look, and he can do that tone. I'm trying to remember the last time I saw Alan. Pardon Ruck. my French, but you're an <laughs> asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, I was I wanted to point out just, you know, again, you can tell it's an 80s movie because of the lens flare. And Mr. Jan yes. Bont, is it Jan or Jan? I'm going to be American. I, I've, I've heard I've heard that it's Jan, but I, I, I've never met him and I haven't had conversations directly with him. So yeah. but I've heard that it's Jan de Bont. That sounds and that it sounds like the name of and he looks like one. He could be one of the terrorists. Yes. You know, in a per- yes. in a perfect world, uh, McTiernan would have put Jan de Bont in a couple of scenes as a terrorist. He couldn't have been like Gudenov's sidekick, but he was. He could have had Rennie cool. Rennie Harland also there. You know. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, uh, you know, he, but he was too busy getting just like classic '80s lens flare. And in an '80s movie like this, it's not neo noir, but it's L.A. So if you don't have neo neon signs, you got to have police lights flashing on people. Yes, <laughs> so it's just the only thing missing is uh, them hosing down the streets so everything's wet. Because that's <laughs> that's something you like. Next time you're watching a good old fashioned like cop movie or a neo noir from the '80s. Notice when they've they've hosed down the street at night, so the neon just gets that extra flash. And I was like, "Has it been raining? There's not a cloud in the sky. No one's wearing a raincoat. It sure looks cool." And Jan knew that, so it was like, yes. you, know, "You know, I I'm picturing him in these exteriors. I need more police cars, more sirens. We need more red in here. Whatever <laughs> bad accent that was. Sorry, Jan. We're gonna get letters. Yeah." And and then he says, or some kind of nutcase in there. All right yeah. now, 
So do, do you know do you know where the phrase nutcase comes from? I I should because I I am I am the descendant of almond farmers, almond ranchers, and they'd be they were alive today. They uh, well, you know, it's it's you can imagine a nutcase being um, yeah a a traveling uh, package for nuts, but to associate it with someone who is unstable. <laughs> please, please, Rob, enlighten me. Okay, so it's uh, first of all, it was first used in 1959 for meaning a crazy person. Okay, so first of all, I did I did a little bit of uh, research, and there are a lot of synonyms that you could use. You can use kook, nutbag, nutter, odd duck, wacko, weirdo, crackpot, loon, nut, nutbag, nutter, screwball, and wacko. Actually, they're just now. I, I know I said some of those twice, but those are because it's also from, you know, an insane person. But it can also be in a funny way. You can call someone an eccentric or an odd person. You know, it's not necessarily someone who's completely insane. It's just someone who's who's a little uh, a little off. Right. Sure. And sometimes they behave in a foolish manner. Uh, sometimes you can think of it someone who's behaving in an irrational or unpredictable way. OK, someone who could be reckless. Or, uh, you know, tend to have violent behavior, you know, things like that. So the, the truth is that that actually does fit John a little bit because John is a little bit reckless here. He's definitely uh, unpredictable. I wouldn't call him irrational. That that he's he's the one probably John is probably one of the most rational people here. Uh, I think I think Dwayne himself is more irrational than, yes. than John. Yes, he is. He's highly irrational. Because a screenwriter needed him to be irrational. Yes. But we sort of, we need, again, we need that tension. Um, yeah. If this was a good old-fashioned police procedural, all the cops would be working together. Um, but Jack Webb was already dead for eight years, so that wasn't happening. And, and they hadn't started, uh, you know, uh, Law & Order yet, so. No, no, no. 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 Perfect. The, yeah, that's. They had another four years till Law & Order would start. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. I'll, be, I'll, I'll bet you Dick Wolf hates this movie. He's like, oh, come on. He's like, ah, it doesn't make any sense. Oh, come on. It's not believable. Exactly. But that's, it's, that's, we're talking, we're talking <laughs> apples and bananas. And this is, the, this is movie true. is bananas. And it's, yes. yeah, it's, again, it's a rogue cop movie. It's, yes. uh, so at this point, Powell then responds and says that, uh, you know, I don't think so, sir. In fact, I think he's a cop. Maybe not LAPD, but he's definitely a badge. So first of all, where do you think he gets this hunch? Why does he think that this is a policeman? You know, I feel like what has John said that, 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 that says that he's a policeman? Nothing. You know, he's given he's given them information. He's definitely, you know, uh, explaining the situation and stuff like that. But what makes him, you know, what makes him think to say that he's a cop as opposed to, you know, maybe he's just the guy who's seen a lot of cop movies, you know? <laughs> I would imagine since Al is a veteran, I mean, this is just pure assumption, uh, speculation. That's what we're here for, Brett. We're just it's here true. to, we're true. just here for assumptions. You, you know what assumption, you know, you know what happens when you assume. I yeah, I'm, I'm working on some Al Powers fan fiction, uh, but you know, I just I would assume um, he could he probably just picked up on in the midst of it, like and I, I 
in a realistic sense, you know, you don't want to, you got somebody who's, you know, calling for help. So you don't want to panic them, but you hear how, how rational or not like how calm John is being in a very scary situation and he's giving information. So, and maybe, Oh, I can't remember Cause you know, that they have a couple of heart to hearts later on. Yeah. Does, does Al, do they now? Cause, cause John's keeping his hands close and you know, or keeping his cards close. So he doesn't tell anybody who he is. Right. Uh, he's, yeah. he's Roy. Roy yeah. Roger. Yeah. But you figure Al's, you know, Al is a good cop. Um, and you probably, he's probably just going, yeah, this guy sounds like a guy I'd work with. Sounds like somebody I know. He sound this guy sounds a little too good to, uh, or a, li- a little too professional, a little too seasoned to be just, uh, you know, a, a witness. Or right. A, but there is, uh, but there is the, the, you have to look at the difference between LA and New York. You know, the, the way that, that, yeah. that, that you police, you know, the way that you look at police in LA and the way you look at police in New York, even in the eighties, you know, there's, there's, they're, they're completely, uh, I guess you could say heaven and earth. I mean, they're completely different, complete opposites of the yeah. way that, which, which is one of the, the ironic things about the fact that the two of them have such a strong connection in this movie is that, that, you know, as you mentioned, Al is probably a great cop, but he's a great LA cop. Like you yeah. couldn't take you couldn't take him and put him in New York, and he he wouldn't he doesn't seem as if he would work as well in New York as he does in L.A. At least the way that the character is being played. Yeah. You know, and with John, I would think it's somewhat the same, but you know, when when Die Hard Two comes out, uh, we know that they they sort of change that because they move him to L.A. So he apparently somehow does find a way to fit in. But that's before he has to run back to L.A. Uh, has to run back to New York for the third movie. So you know, <laughs> I guess that didn't work out too well. <laughs> right. They they caught John, uh, you know, beating up Rodney King or something like that. Uh, <laughs> but so so, I mean, what what Al says here is he says that that he's definitely a badge. Now, what do you think badge? What does he mean by that? Like what? Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, why would no. he say? Why doesn't he say he's definitely a cop? Like, why definitely a badge? I I wonder if that's just uh, Jeb Stewart or some or the uh, the guy who did the rewrites just having, you know, because cop is so used by everybody, and maybe that's where you you know you talk to a policeman and yeah we you know we use you know yeah he's a badge maybe that's a little more insider slang. Um, well, it is. You are right. It is police slang, and it stands for bravery, attitude, dedication, guts, and everything. There you go. Okay. So it's so that's good. That's interesting. So when he said when Al says that, it isn't just you know it's it's he's given he's he's trying to tell Dwayne now. No, this this guy is one of us, and he's a good right. one of us, and you know, like. Yeah, because he's probably he's probably make, trying to make a very solid point that you know. Yeah. We, so we how need... how far back do you think it goes that that people have used badges? Oh man, uh... <laughs> a number of years ago I appeared on the Tombstone Minute, and I think we talked about badges and the origin of badges. And I'm trying to 
Oh, this is one of those. Uh, I know I've read about a little bit about the origin of badges and how they develop, but I can't remember. Would you happen to know anything about the history of badges? <laughs> well, it goes back to medieval times. Okay. Okay, and it's it's connected to where knights wore a coat of arms, which represented their their various allegiances and loyalties and things like that. Makes sense. They can be made from metal, they can be made from plastic, leather, uh, textile, rubber, and they usually are, are attached to the clothing in order for, for people to be able to see what, uh, you know, who they are, what they are, right. you know, what they represent, and things like that. Um, their badges are also used in the military in order to denote uh, various units or which arms, uh, which arm of the, the armed forces one is part of and things like that, different qualifications that people have received through military training, rank, and things like that. Um, for instance, the Boy Scouts, you know, you know, they also use badges for different types of awards and ranks and things like that. So, yeah, it goes, it goes back very, very far, <laughs> and it's still being used. Yeah. So it's, it's very, very interesting that, uh, you know, but I, I mean, I personally like the fact that, that the anagram for the badge, which what we mentioned earlier, you know, I'd never even thought about that beforehand. That, that it could actually stand for something. That's cool. So, yeah, and I think I so like too. <laughs> so Robinson then says, how do you know that? And he goes, a hunch. Things he said, like being able to spot a phony ID. So I, I've yeah. always thought this was really funny. I mean, we, we, we talked about when they showed the ID, uh, you know, months ago. I think it was I think it was Tony's ID, you know, that, that, that they got things wrong on the driver's license. With, you know, it didn't look... It like a real 1980s uh, California driver's license, but you know. So, I, I how much do you think it would cost to buy a phony ID these days? Oh, I, I went onto the dark web to try and find out these things. Well, you went on the dark web. Should we be talking yeah. about this? Yeah, um, we're, we're we're just talking. I'm not saying where. Okay, yeah. just the dark web. Yeah, you're <laughs> down the street. I just not too long ago I was I was had a vague recollection of being a teenager and you could like in the back of like high times you could get a phony ID there would be an ad you know it was a, it was sort of for like a real phony ID or just like a paper phony ID uh, you know, they had like a picture you know, of Bugs Bunny on it or something. You know, I never got yeah. one. So, but, it, you know, <laughs> apparently if you sent uh, some guy in New Jersey uh, nine bucks, you'd get something that you could uh, get in to see your favorite band or something like that. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint. It costs more than nine bucks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. That's a, um, And I'm funny. I was just thinking about somebody I was at. Somebody just asked me for my ID, uh, which at this point is like ridiculous, <laughs> but just the other. But I don't know how much does in current 2022 economic uh, conditions, what is it going to cost me uh, if I want to get a beer and I'm underage? Well, it's more complicated than that. It's, it's uh, what, what I what I looked up was how to get a new identity. Oh, you know, okay. So therefore, you get a whole bunch of different types of, of IDs, right? So in the U.S., in order to get a new passport, all right, a driver's license, and a brand new security uh, social security card and number, 
Okay. So first of all, the passport would cost you about $710. Okay. The ID and driver's license will be uh, 200 plus and a new social card number, uh, social security card number or card is actually only about five bucks. It doesn't cost that much to do it. Um, if you want to try getting educational certificates and qualifications, those you have to use bitcoins for. So there, there's, there's prices here in, in bitcoins for that type of thing. Um, if you want to get, uh, if you want to start a new bank account, that's about $70. If you want to get new credit cards, that's about $45. And if you want to fix your credit history, that's about $200. Okay. Which is considered, uh, pretty, pretty low for these type of things. So basically the minimum cost to get a new ID in the U.S. is about, uh, $1,300. But again, that's that is a completely new like uh, alias. And... Yes, yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. Well, that's why I broke it down a little bit. So that's okay. Uh, okay. But but it's... in any end, if you're getting a new passport and you're getting a new ID, you know, you just might as well just go the whole do the whole thing. Yeah, the passport's already going to cost you more than half. So <laughs> now, if you want to do it in Europe, okay, uh, it will cost you about uh, another hundred dollars. It's about fourteen hundred dollars to do there. In um, in Canada, it's about the same as in the U.S. It's about thirteen hundred dollars. The passport's a little cheaper, but the uh, driver's license is actually more expensive. You know the 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 the, uh, the Canadian passport is only six hundred and sixty dollars instead of seven ten like the American, but the driver's license is at least uh, two seventy five. Okay. Canada. Yeah. Says it. yeah. What can you do? Canada. Uh, in the, in the UK, it's, it's also about $1,400. If you want to try and get that, the, the driver's license is, is a little bit uh, more expensive. Also it's $305, but the, uh, passport is the same as the U S it's about $710. Um, but the most expensive place is in Australia. If you wanted to, to completely get a new identity. Uh, would that cost nearly fifteen hundred dollars? You know, again, we're we're only talking a hundred dollar difference between most of these places, but uh, still. And I, but, I appreciate uh, your in in terms of false identities, you're you're trying to find the bargain for our guests or for our yes, listeners. That's right. So if you're you if know. you're looking for a false ID, you should probably do it in the U.S. That, yeah. That's probably that that's, I, th I think that's the. Uh, you know, that, that, that's the best way of looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> Go to Costco and get an alias. And, uh, exactly. Using a fake Costco card. <laughs> exactly. And so our good friend uh, Robinson's response to this is, Jesus Christ, Powell, he could be a <laughs> bartender for all we know. <laughs> so now the irony of this line is that Bruce Willis used to be a bartender before this. That's true. Yeah, we, which which Bruno, is yeah. a great that's right it's it's a great uh, piece of trivia that they 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 fit that in there. That's a I want I wonder if that was a, a little nod to Bruce or that just happened to be. Uh, but yeah, and there you go. That that's that's Robinson's. Well, when when we get to what, what do you think? Do you think it was a nod to Bruce or not? When we get to the to the to the script, I'll be able to tell you what what the truth is. Okay. So uh, what, what's your bet? You think it's you think oh. it's something that's in the script, or you think they changed it when they uh, when when they uh, cast you know, uh, Bruce Willis? I, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say it was it was an it was an intentional nod to Bruno because that's more fun. Um, 
So I'll, I'll, I'll vote with that. Okay. All right. And, and we'll, we'll hear at the end of this episode whether, whether you're right or wrong. Oh, boy. Their argument gets broken up by a comment that someone says on the side that says, TV's here. And then Twain looks over and goes, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. If, if, Which, if there's anything, that, any, any consolation, it's that Robinson is having a bad night. You know? Well, think about it. Think about it. He's he's on call on New Year's on uh, Christmas Eve. True. And you know he actually has to go deal with this, you know, this fake terrorist. Uh, yeah. Thing. And this is yeah. And I think a lot of his motivation is avoiding things like the media, and yes. having to deal with that. So, but I mean that's. But his... but it's funny. He wants to he he wants to avoid it, but he still wants to take the credit for everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's a. He's a shit ass for sure. Yes. Um, and, no you know, that's, that's, that. like I said, that as that scene ends, you know, you see like, uh, you know, he's just a very unpleasant and unhappy guy. Yeah. We should, yeah. maybe we should be a little more sympathetic for Dwayne. Um, nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I don't think so. Nah. And, and what, what I love here is, is that we get a shot of the TV van and it just like, you know, goes over the divider. <laughs> like, yeah. does it, the police are like trying to, to, you know, trying to stop him and, and wave him off. And, and he just doesn't care. And it's not, it's obviously, I'm assuming it's not Thornburg driving. He probably just has someone else driving it, but whoever's driving it is just, you know, they don't care. They're yeah. just going to, they want to get as close as possible and they don't really care about the whole thing. And you know, and we hear, we hear horns honking and, and people screaming and stuff like that. But you can't really hear, specifically what uh you know what they're saying right and <laughs> then we we get a shot of a portable tv uh being brought into hans's office and it gets turned on and we hear music from the tv and we hear someone on the tv say i'm not going to warn you again now i i did a lot of research to try and find where this clip comes from and i couldn't mm-hmm. find it couldn't find it. It it looks like it's from some sort of like Western TV show or something like that, but it, I I couldn't figure it out. So uh, mm-hmm. sorry to disappoint everybody. Uh, wasn't able to do that. You know, we just see someone. It, I, I was thinking like it's something like maybe Little House on the Prairie or something like that. You know, where where someone's getting into a fight because you see the guy wearing the uh, you know the 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 denim, the denim overalls and stuff like that. We're taking a swing, but absolutely no clue. So if anyone out there actually knows where it's from, you know, let me know. Did you figure yeah, it out, Brad? And, and compliments to you for, for at least digging. That's that's yeah. a deep cut. So you, yeah, you tried. I, I did. I did. I, 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 you're saying I get points for trying. Okay. Absolutely. So that, yeah. That's yeah. good. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. So then we, we see Alexander leave the room after he puts down the, 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 the TV on the, the desk. And as he's walking out of the room, he pass, passes Holly who walks into the room uh, with a very strange look on her face, followed by Franco. And, you know, at this point, we we hear her say, I have a request. And, you know, Hans is busy. And then he looks up and goes, what idiot put you in charge? Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and I've always loved her, her response. <laughs> you did when you murdered my boss. That is, that is a, that is a great reply. And this is, 
It's an important scene here for Holly because, uh, you know, she's held, she's held her own <clears throat> pretty well um, throughout the movie. But now we're seeing just like, sh you know, what she is made of. Yeah, come in sure. and face off Hans, who is reminding it's he reminds me a little more of uh, a British headmaster. You know, he's just looking at his desk and, you know, there's something uh, just maybe maybe slightly ungruber about him here. Do you know what he's looking at? What, what would you guess he's uh, looking at? The script will oh tell boy. us. We'll find out what the script. We They never show it I, to us. We don't get to see it. I, it's, it's out of I frame. I imagine. He's looking at uh, the plan, or maybe he's looking at the weather in Buenos Aires, or where. Not, spoiler alert! Where, where, where are they planning on uh, when they escape? Where are they planning to? They, they don't say. They just say beach. Oh, they don't. Interesting, interesting. As I, that's one of those I could have, could have, I could picture Gruber saying, you know, oh, we'll be, we'll be on the beach. We'll be on the, we'll be on the beach, earning thirty percent. That's what he says. Yeah. Doesn't say yeah, anything but, about where. Uh, I am. I am. I am gonna. I am gonna step down. And what is he looking at? Well, no, I'm not going to tell you yet. We're gonna, we'll get there with the scripts. Oh, you're gonna have. You're gonna have okay. To, okay. You're gonna have to wait. You have to wait a little bit. Just, just okay. a little bit more. Yeah, I'm getting... a little bit more. Now, All the right. funny thing is, uh, is that that why is she in charge? You know, Ellis is, is theoretically high. Uh, you know, ranked higher than she is. You know, Ellis. Well, I think. It was, it's... She was talking about the fact that months ago we talked about this that that you know she was hoping to get Ellis's office with his private bathroom, yeah. which they were in when she says that made that comment because she's in Ellis's office. Okay. So Ellis is obviously higher ranked. I mean, obviously he's coked up and nobody's going to look to him yeah. for advice anyway. That's a separate issue. But the idea that she says that that you made you put me in charge when you murdered my boss. Now everyone's looking to me. So. You know, but this also says a lot about her character. You know, there, there, we, we've had yeah. this, this this discussion and debate uh, throughout this entire podcast as to, you know, what did Holly do before she got the job in Nakatomi? You know, she she it wasn't if she was just sitting at home doing nothing. And then she she answered a little ad for this company, you know, that's looking to hire someone in L.A. You know, it ha she she's a very high level position. You know, it's not something that she had to be working for it. So, so John, you know, John might have animosity towards her about the fact that she moved to L.A., but she, whatever her position was, you know, she still had a high position in, in some company in New York beforehand. So he should have been used to the fact that she has, you know, this high level position. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know I mean, this scene says she's just a natural leader. Yeah, for sure. And it may be, you know, and, you know, she says that line, but I think it's just her just probably doing what she has a natural gift for. And that's, you know, like, OK, let's get organized. Let's do this. So, you know, I can imagine Holly's a character who, <clears throat> yeah, you know, starts off maybe as a secretary, but just with her just, I think, inherent natural leadership skills, she probably gets a lot of fast promotions. Yeah, she, she moved um, up really quickly. I think it's like, you know, John's sort of like, he, like <clears throat> he's, I think he's maybe not used to her in such a position. It's like, how did you get to be here, you know? And it's right. just... Yeah, right, but that, again, that, it wasn't that, that she was a secretary, it wasn't that she was a secretary in New York and then entered an ad for the job in Nakatomi. 
you know, this is again, this no. is a high level position. It's she she needed to go through stepping stones before she can get there. Yeah. You know, it might it, be the high thing. It might have been yeah. it might have been a jump, but it wasn't a jump from a secretary yeah. to being. You know, she was already a businesswoman. You know, uh, you know, even if it was just medium level before she jumped up now to the high level. You know that type of thing. Yeah. It is, and but as it we see, interesting. as we see in the next movie, I mean, she she's already she becomes she basically gets Takagi's job. So, you know, it means she does have the qualifications uh, for all that. But yeah, yeah, but yeah, that's you know, I mean, if uh, you, know, you uh, save your staff from a terrorist attack, you get promoted. Yeah, I guess. Well, especially when when you two when the two people above you both get their heads blown off, you know. Yeah. That maybe nobody wants that job, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'd say that's an interesting point because I think when you know we see Holly initially, we're seeing her through John's point of view, and I think he's sort of been oblivious to her career as well. I think that's part of the problem, is yes, uh, he's you know, he's maybe only now on Christmas Eve realizing, like, yeah, she makes four times what you make. <laughs> Four? Deal with it. I think I would think even more than four. <laughs> She's making a lot more. I mean, we, we discussed we discussed weeks ago about the the salary of of an of, of a New York City cop and how the the salary of a L.A. cop is actually much higher. So it is to oh, John. Really? It, it behooves John in 1988. It behooves John to actually move <laughs> for from a financial perspective. So but, uh, yeah, we'll see. So I, so, I had. I let me let me just let me let me just finish with, with what she's oh, well, like, finished with her line here, and then we'll get to that. Okay, so then she says, uh, no. you know, he he says, "What did he put you in charge?" And she said, "You did when you murdered my boss." Now everyone's looking to me personally. I'd pass on the job. I don't enjoy being this close to you. <laughs> she 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 gets that jab in there right at the end, also. Yeah, yeah. You know, it works. It yeah. works very well. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is where. Yeah, I, I noticed. You know, Rickman looks a little startled or, you know, Gruber looks a little like, you know, he has a, he has, it's a very comical double take expression that he's sort of like, Whoa, um, good job by Rickman to sort of show Gruber's surprise at her, uh, yeah. tenacity. But I had to make a joke out of it that, you know, Rickman is just like, he doesn't know what to think of, of Holly's, uh, 1980s perm. Cause oh, it is like, <laughs> No, it but he's seen like her before. So tumbleweed in yes. that. Just uh, I, I, uh, you know, it's funny. I hadn't, you know, hadn't seen the movie in a few years. Of course, knowing it was made in the eighties, and uh, you know, when you see, you just suddenly see Holly. She looks so eighties businesswoman, and her her hair looks like you could actually cut your fingers on it. It just it just looks like this. <laughs> that's a hell of a perm, Rob. And, yeah, uh, and that, maybe course, that's the reason why John, John, you know, needed six months away from her to let his hands, uh, you know, uh, heal. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Exactly. Exactly. All right. Is there anything else you want to say about this man before we get into the script? I think I think I that's I just definitely wanted to say something about Holly's perm, which it's it's a little it's a little bit of a cheap shot because that was the era. Yes. Um, and, it, and it was funny looking at, at 
Bonnie Bedelia pictures of her in the seventies when she had more of like straight hair. She yes. sort of looked like Susie SpaceX sister or something like that. But it's the eighties, <laughs> and yes. you know, it looks like she might also have some padding on her uh, shoulder pads. You know, just that was the look. Dynasty. Yes. That's right. <laughs> All right. So the the script has just a few minor discrepancies, nothing really major. But first, we'll 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 talk about the the two things we discussed earlier about uh, you know whether the, the 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 phrase of bartender was added in for Bruce Willis, and the answer is no. It was already in the script. So sorry, oh, well. Brad. You missed you missed on that one. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. Still a good line. Yes. No. For sure. Completely. Now. The the script actually mentions that Robinson notices himself the uh, the TV van showing up, and no one has to say to him TV's here. You know he looks over and then he goes oh shit. that's his response to the whole thing. Okay. Then when Holly comes into the room, it, so I will read you what it says here. Hans examines building plans at Holly's desk. Behind him, the TV is on, sound muted. TV cops triumph over oafish bad guys. Okay, so he is looking at the building plans, which makes okay. sense. I mean, if you look at what he's doing yeah. here, you can see that he's looking at something, even though it's out of frame. It still looks looks pretty good. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah. a few other minor differences. It's uh, In the script, it's Fritz who brings Holly in instead of Franco. Uh, it, it means the same thing, but it doesn't matter which, which character. Yeah. They just change the character of who it yeah. is. And then the, the final thing that says that it says here right after – you know, she says to him, I don't enjoy being this close to you. It says, Hans is impressed by her candor, and she's easy enough on the eyes. Yeah. Which, <laughs> you know, interesting interesting for them to say it that way. But, uh, yeah, it works that way. Yeah. All right. So every Monday we have a segment called Die Hard on a Monday, where my guests will give their top five Die Hard doppelganger films. So, Brett, what have you got for us? Start with your number five and work your way up. Oh, well, I, I I went in kind of a different direction. Uh, I'm, I'm doing some deep cuts. I thought about okay. movies, favorite movies of mine that might have had some inspiration with Die Hard. Because, you know, 1988, this was a this seemed like a really amazing, fresh movie. Um, not that it wasn't. But, you know, you see elements of it. And earlier movies, not, you know, I think Die Hard really just, uh, you know, puts the pedal to the metal with it. But, uh, you know, like in the 70s uh, on my list, I'll start number five. There's a great hostage melodrama movie, uh, The Taking of Pelham 123, if you ever seen Oh, that I love that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I hate I hate the I hate the remix, but the the original yeah. is amazing. Yeah, the original. And. You know, you you kind of wonder. If I actually, I actually hope that I'm going to do that one in the future. That oh, that's a, wow. a great. Ooh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, on my list. It's very high on that's my list. A good so. one. That's a good one. Yeah. So you kind of you it's it's not a clear line through, but I think you see some of the inspiration for that. You know, and and like well, we, Robert we know Shaw's, that. Um, right. Was Mr. Green in that? And that's you know Terrence. No, Mr. You know, no, Mr. Blue. That's Mr. He's. Blue. Mr. Blue, Mr. Yeah, you, Green, Mr. Green is is uh, Martin Balsam. Okay, okay, man, you know your Pelham one, two, three. I yes, I, I bow my yes, head towards you. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's one where you know I feel like there's a little bit of DNA there. Um, 
I'm going to go back to another favorite of mine. You know, that's, it, you know, and that's the, you know, the, the theme of, you know, one man against the system or, you know, one man on his own and uh, point blank with Lee Marvin, 1967, little different. Cause he's, that's just a criminal who's tearing up the mob. But what's important is that movie was uh, based on a novel by Richard Stark, a.k.a. Donald Westlake, who did um, – it's one of the Parker crime novels. And we can also talk about you know, the, the novel inspirations. You know, he did a great book that's never been properly done as a movie called Slayground, which is – and it was written before – and I just forgot the title of the novel – Die Hard's based on. Based on Nothing Lasts Forever. Nothing Lasts Forever. Uh, yeah, By Richard Roger Stark Thorpe. Wrote, yeah, Roderick Thorpe and Nothing Lasts Forever. And Richard Stark, Donald Westling in 1971 wrote Slayground, which is set in an abandoned amusement park in the dead of winter. And it's the same kind of cat and mouse where the hunter becomes the hunted and vice versa. And, you know, I have to wonder if Roderick Thorpe he might have even pals with Donald Westlake, but there's some interesting parallels in that novel, which was never properly done as a movie, should have been a movie. I think it was made as a movie in 83, but it wasn't so good. Uh, and then got a couple more. I'll go back all the way to 1932. Because, you know, this, you know, Die Hard is totally a cat and mouse movie and the hunter becomes the hunted and vice versa. And the definitive movie of that is uh, one of my favorite movies, The Most Dangerous Game. It's the classic yeah. story mm -hmm. of, yeah, you know, the hunter becomes the hunted. And it's got a great British actor who was, I think, uh, the Alan Rickman of his generation, Leslie Banks. He's even got mm -hmm. a beard. <laughs> and it's a yeah. Totally fun movie, pre-code. And then I'll I'll take it back to what I think is the very first modern action adventure movie. Um, and this is about some guys who steal a train and one guy trying to get it back. And that is Buster Keaton in The General, one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's, uh, 1926, 1988. There's about 60 years. Isn't it? Isn't it 25? Yeah, 20. I think I yeah, 25, 26, definitely in there. Um, but, you know, the general is just... No, sure, sorry, it's you're right. It's 26. I, I, I bowed yeah. to you, Brett. It's 26. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. I mean, you're, you <laughs> you know, you you're, your dart was right next to my dart. The yes. fact that you were that close is, you know, hey. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, you know, I'm a big fan of the general. And, you know, I feel like uh steven spielberg and jackie chan and uh john mctiernan and uh a lot of people need to they erect a statue to, to buster keaton who i think was kind of the in some ways the first action movie star and filmmaker because there's a the the tempo of that movie and the the way that you know it's got gags but it's still like an elaborate chase and there's tension i'd like to see a silent version of die hard made in 1927 with buster keaton <laughs> <laughs> or that harold would be very very interesting <laughs> yeah that i'm, I'm a big very harold lloyd fan. yeah oh i gotta love harold lloyd yeah i think you know so that's yeah and you know i think you know and to kind of tie it take it back to 1988 you know, we love John McClane because he's a very capable hero, but he's also, a, you know, there's, you know, we wince at some of the 
jams he gets in, but there's also humor to it. We kind of laugh along with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Even if sometimes it's nervous laughter. (laughs) Oh gosh, that's horrible. But um, you know, it's, and this movie absolutely has comic elements to it. And so, yeah, those those are my, was that five? I I actually only counted four. Taking a pound, one, two, three, um, point blank, most dangerous game in the general. Yeah, and also, also I'll throw in, um, I'll throw in two more. I'll do a, I'll do a daily double. Uh, uh, John Carpenter's original Assault on Precinct Thirteen, that kind of a siege movie, very low budget. Again, don't bother with the remake. And the movie that inspired that, Rio Bravo, with John Wayne and Dean Martin, Howard Hawks. You know, yes. one man against an army. I, yeah. I love how they just start so, singing in the middle. You know, it's just like yeah. <laughs> they got nothing right. better to do, so let's let's just sing, and it's just fun. Right. You know, yes, it's very fun. That might be the, that might be the one missing element of Die Hard, and maybe if Bruce had his career was a little further along, and you know, this this movie put him on top, but if he was already on top, he was. You know, I'd really like to sing in this one. <laughs> and I guess he I guess he sings doesn't he like Taya Yippie. That's not quite singing, but anyway, he could have done a number just, you know, in the middle. Suddenly, there's a piano in the Nakatomi Plaza, and he yeah, but he he would have had to have Dean Martin in with him, you know, and then that that would have made it a little more <laughs> sense, you know. If you had Dean Martin there, exactly. then then yeah, I think I think I think it looks seems more in the Towering Inferno. It would have made more sense. You know, for them to sing, uh, you yeah. know, either Cindy or or My Rifle, My Pony, and Me. You know, those those might have fit in a little better. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's yeah, excellent. You know, the Towering Inferno is also, you know, different movie. But I again, I think every movie I've mentioned has some DNA to it. And you know, I hand it to uh, the producers for creating, you know, making a great goulash. And creating a very uh, original movie that way, but yeah, th- those those are my five, and I'm sticking to them. All right, very good. All right, you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you, Brett? You can send me an email or a text. I'm on the Facebook. Sort I'm sort of retired from. I'm not retired, but I don't have a current uh, movie by minute podcast. You're on hiatus. You may You're on hiatus. Atis, but I'm always available to talk about movies because I have nothing better to do. My good friend Josh Horowitz and I did five minutes of Bonsai, all about the adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai across the eighth dimension, and uh, five minutes of Trouble, where we discussed Big Trouble in Little China, which came out about two years before Die Hard. And uh, the connection there is Al Leong, which we'll talk about more about him throughout the week. All right. Great. And Finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, or you can go directly to my website, movearoundminute.com. So, Brett, you feel like uh, coming back again tomorrow? Talking sure. a little more about this little, this, this little indie film, Die Hard? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Quiet Great. little movie. All right. Great. So, until tomorrow, yippee ki yay. Yippee ki yay. 